Ultimately, everything kind of boils down to one question. What's the fucking point? So, let's talk about it. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and this podcast brings a little levity and a lot of curiosity to some of the biggest questions and ideas that us meager humans can ponder. Join me and our guests each week as we dig into topics around consciousness, spirituality, psychology, and philosophy, all with a healthy dose of existential angst. And now, today's episode. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast for episode number 19. I'm so glad that you're here and taking precious minutes out of your life to put this in your earbuds and I am also very excited for you to hear this conversation with Megan Bruno, our guest for this episode. Holy shit, you guys. I mean, this is one that I know that there's show notes and all of that, and you can always come back to it later if you're listening in the car or something, but you're probably going to come back and want to re-listen to this one, take notes, whatever. It's that good. And we get into talking about just the behavioral health industry as a whole, the commodification of behavioral health, ethics of therapy and psychiatric medication, and that might sound really boring to some of you guys. It's pretty exciting for a lot of us. And I, and I think just a really interesting thing, especially with the, the proliferation of the wellness industry. We talk about the flaws of positive psychology and uh, we talk about privilege and systemic oppression and racism. And oh my goodness. This is great. And also parenting and the things that women especially get trapped in as representation of their self-worth and how we can actually start to reclaim that in a healthier and more authentic, grounded way. So I don't have a lot else to say because I really just want you to get into the interview. And um, as far as what's up with me, I'm getting on a plane later today after the Renewed Conference. Little plug there for Renewed, which is an incredible organization locally here in Nashville that serves across Tennessee. There are support groups that are free that I am now uh, leading one of those monthly for high schoolers and uh, for you know any kind of eating disorder, disordered eating, body image stuff. And so they put on this annual conference that ha- that brings in speakers from all over and I'm excited to just see a lot of people face to face. So I have that and then getting on a plane, going to DC, going to Maryland to hang out, visit family um, and enjoy the beautiful fall weather up there where it's actually fall. And uh, and here in Nashville, it just went from like, you know, 88 degrees to like 40 degrees (laughs) overnight as it does in this part of the country. Um, Also, you know, my thoughts are with people affected by Hurricane Michael, and it's obviously just ugh, so tragic, everything that's happening in climate change and the impact of that on our um, nat- what a natural disaster, that's the word I'm looking for. So hopefully people are getting what they need and getting resources. Anyway, that's uh, beside the point, but also important to mention. So Enjoy this conversation with Megan Bruneau, who is a therapist, a coach, a storyteller. She hosts her own podcast called The Failure Factor, and she writes for 
Forbes. She writes for Mind Body Green, the Huffington Post, Gaia, so many other publications. She is a fucking badass, you guys. You're going to love her. So, without further ado, Megan Bruno, you can find her at meganbruno.com. That's M E G A N B R U N E A W. W-B-E-A-U.com. I know how what letters are. And um, her Instagram, Megan J. Bruno, and all of that will be linked up. So get your ears perked up for this one and enjoy the episode. You're from Canada, right? I am. Yeah, I'm from a small town in British Columbia called Kamloops that like most Canadians know. So it's not weird to tell people you're from Kamloops. But I realized when I moved to the States that, uh, no Americans know that city. And so I now just say I'm from a small town in British Columbia because otherwise you have, they're like, what, like Kalmus, Cam, Kamloops, like what, what is it? So it yes, sounds super Canadian. It, yes, it is very Canadian. And then I was in Vancouver for 11 years. I went down there for school. So nice. yeah. And then I've been in New York for four. And are you a U.S. citizen or how does that? Um, no, no, I am not. No, I'm always wondering you know when um i might get deported um yeah yeah exactly i know i always tell myself that i'm like if my visa renewal doesn't come through it's not like i'm going back to syria you know i'm very lucky i'm going back to like the most livable city in the world Uh um so yeah i'm I'm here on a visa cool Yeah. yeah and then was therapy mental health stuff was that your sort of initial career path that you were interested in or did you sort of zigzag to get there? Um, it was pretty much the initial career path I was interested in. Like, I feel like I'm one of those rare people or rare millennials that didn't have, get like a liberal arts degree and come out and then like, you know, wonder what the fuck we're going to do with our lives. So, um, I mean, I, there were other things I kind of wanted to be when I was younger. I, I, I toyed with like being a writer, which is kind of hilarious because I'm sort of a writer now. Um, and so, yeah, there was that. I mean, I remember having a conversation with my dad when I was really young, being like, Dad, I want to be a singer. And him being like, you'll never make it. And me being like, well, then I want to be an artist. And him being like, you can be an artist as a hobby. And I'm like, then I want to be a journalist. And him being like, well, they don't make enough money. And him being like, well, what do you like? And I was like, well, I like to talk to people. And he was like, you can do that for a living. And I was like, people do that for a living? <laughs> yeah, it's called a psychologist. So from a pretty young age, I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah, awesome. That, that makes me think about, um, I'm like, a podcast whore. I listen to podcasts all the time. And, and I actually was really getting back into music recently and wasn't listening to a lot. And now I'm back in the podcast. So I guess it's okay to go in phases. But um, there's this guy, Charles Eisenstein. Have you heard of him? No, I haven't. I, I couldn't even do justice for a, a bio, but he's like one of these, like, whatever the, the, um, genius kind of level rating is he's like one of those people and so he's written a number of books and I think he like sort of had this really like externally successful life and then just like had this existential crisis and like blew it up and and so now he's his whole life is like dedicated to um, these big truths and anyway and so I was listening to I haven't listened to many of his but I was listening to one um, from several months ago where he was talking with this woman who uh, had a really bad experience with um, the behavioral health psychiatric care world and um, had been you know put on all these meds and it just mm-hmm. it ended up being a very bad experience for her and so now she 
she advocated for herself and like is totally off all the meds and and oh. and now has this organization of people who are sort of out there talking about how um we I guess she she's saying couching it a little cautiously of like we're not saying that you should just go off your meds however we want this to be a choice we think there's an over you know um commodification of the behavioral health industry and just totally. pharmaceutical and all of that kind of stuff so it was a fascinating conversation but you know of course she brought in therapy a little bit into that and was like well you know back in the day it's um people just had that within their social communities and why can't we have that now so there's that argument and then there's the other argument of like well i don't want my friend like trying to set my broken arm so why am i going to ask my friend to try to help me totally. through my depressive episode so i don't know it just really kind of got me thinking about um the the ethics of this industry and it's it's just fascinating so tangent, totally if you have anything to say on that I would love to hear it <laughs> yeah I mean I think what I heard there is just that there is an overprescription of uh, from psychopharmaceuticals and uh, you know I think there is a like you said a commodification of behavioral health and I think that um, that's why I actually really don't love the term mental illness, like except mm-hmm. for extreme cases, because I think we are pathologizing the human experience and humans' emotions. Um, so I prefer to say mental health challenges and mental health struggles and optimal mental health and psychological resilience and things like that um, that seem a little bit less um, stigmatized and people are more likely to recognize, okay, like we're all in this together. Everyone has their struggles and our current the society that we live in today is not really conducive to mental health. And so I think on the one hand, Yes, like we are, um, I think we might be pathologizing something that doesn't necessarily need to be pathologized. And at the same time, like, yes, like we do need, we need doctors to set broken arms and we need professionals to work with trauma and, you know, to help a person like develop deeper levels of self-awareness and realize like what serves them doesn't necessarily serve someone else. And that's why I think there should always be individual therapy if possible for somebody. But I recognize that's like a very privileged position to be in that somebody can access that. And I wish it were different. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think um, at the end of the day, it just comes down to self-awareness and like knowing what serves you best and just being a critical consumer of anything. So recognizing that, yeah, this is also an industry. And unfortunately, um, I wish every practitioner were super ethical, but they're not. And, you know, we see this really just as much, I'm sure, in the, the therapy industry as we do in like the coaching industry and whatnot. But any helping professional, you know, ideally, they're coming from a place of, of wanting to to heal and put their clients or patients needs first. But there's also oftentimes like an ethical um, conflict when a person is both an entrepreneur or a business person, and they're wanting to scale and they're wanting to market, and they're wanting to sell product or services or whatever. And then they're also wanting to put their patient or clients needs in mind. And so I think it takes like a very a, a high end, a high integrity practitioner to recognize like where there might be tension there and put the client's needs first, but not everybody does that. So that's where it comes down to the consumer to, you know, do your, do your research and ask the questions and don't trust it just because someone says they're going to change your life that they will. In fact, if they say that they're probably somebody to run the other direction from um so yeah so that's my i i um i heard your tangent and i've now matched your tangent or i've raised the tangent level (laughs) within the conversations with another tangent i love it no all of that was great and um 
And two, like, because I think that part of that conversation and and in in this podcast and generally the conversation around this is like, well, shouldn't therapists ultimately be trying to make themselves obsolete? And to a degree, yes. Like, I don't want anyone to think that they need me. But I think that there's also that misses something when we're looking at it strictly from the Western medical model, we're going to therapy Mm -hmm is about symptom reduction, then we're missing out on a big chunk of people for whom, like you say, deeper self-exploration and and all this, like, maybe I've done enough of my healing from trauma that I'm perfectly functional in my day-to-day life, but I want to explore this deeper. And if they do, again, it's it's shitty about the um, not having enough access across all the income levels, but if, if they've got the resources to do that and they want to do that i don't think we need to be saying that like oh this therapist is unethical totally 100 and i think like i mean i'm trying to think of a, a metaphor on the spot here and one that just comes to mind for me is like is comparing therapy like saying therapy is like like movement i mean it's a very all-encompassing term i mean movement can be used in ways that is like um therapeutic or remedial you know it can be used to like reach a goal it can be mental it can be physical like there's so many aspects to it and so I think like when people hear therapy some of the immediate uh, interpretations are yes it's a it's remedial there's a, a like pathology there it's something that a person should work toward not needing and I think in some like short-term programs where they're being funded that's what people have to do um based on like just resources and whatnot. But at the end of the day, like what I often will explain to my clients when I'm first telling them a little bit about like what therapy and coaching are is I say, you know, people either come for a choice or a change or for, you know, consistent support that they don't necessarily have in their lives. And they're making the choice to have, it's valuable to them in some way and it's worth the investment. They want it to be consistent. And in fact, like, um, so, okay, so I, I also will often liken it to, like, a, a deep tissue massage. Like, I mean, I get massages, you know, once a week or every two weeks. I'm not going to just, like, get to a point where I don't need massages anymore. Like, there's always going to be things coming up in my body, especially as an athlete, that, like, require me to need more massages, right? And so I think we have a very, like, myopic view of what therapy is. And really, I mean, it can be, yeah, you're coming in short term because you're like, mm, need to make a choice here between these, like, two professions or something. And that's it. That's the only reason I want to come to the therapist. Or, you know, I need to make this this change in my life. Like, I've realized that I'm, I'm really reactive and I get really pissed off at people easily and I want to change that behavior. Or, you know, I mean especially if we look at it from more of an attachment perspective. I mean, the way I work with most people is more long-term. It it doesn't have to be. I mean, we can still do good work in a few sessions. But if you actually want to change your attachment patterning, which is like what I think the the root of most people's pain is and, you know, feel work through trauma and stuff, which is all about recreating a sense of safety in the world and setting boundaries and feeling like you can trust someone and, you know, developing secure attachment again and stuff like that. You need to actually do more long-term work because you need to learn to trust your practitioner and having a person like that in your life is going to help you excel in other areas of life. If you know, you can count on that person. And then from there you can create more like, replicate that type of relationship or, you know, in some ways, replicate aspects of that relationship with other people in your life. Yeah. I love that metaphor of the deep tissue massage. That makes so much sense. And I'm also thinking about how like, you know, at the outpatient level, hopefully most of the people who are coming into our offices are healthy enough where it, it does feel like, you know, they can, 
either get to that place where they feel like, all right, I've got some skills, I can go off on my own, or I enjoy coming, here are the reasons why I want to keep coming. Um, Where it gets tricky is like those higher levels of care. And like, I'm thinking about, there's a lot of talk around um, the whole drug rehab industry right now. And it's, I mean, gosh, I believe in the power of treatment. I've seen it change people's lives, but I've also seen... Uh, the financial side of that and the business side of it and totally and felt very pressured as a clinician in that setting to say, oh, well, this person needs to extend for a second month, even though it's going to be an additional $20,000 and yeah, but, but they really need it. They're not going to be okay without it. And just like, that just does not feel good. Yeah, that's like really gross hearing that. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised. I unfortunately, I mean, I'm, I'm like, such an idealist and I, I always see the good in people I think and it's certainly gotten me in some shitty situations but like <laughs> I wouldn't change it but you know the reality is that yes I mean it is a business and and people are this is the business of capitalizing people's vulnerabilities and capitalizing on people who are desperate and selling them something that they're um that isn't always what's best for them and you know it's we can't really sit here and decide what those intentions are coming from if they're coming from a place of of you know truly believing that that person could benefit from the extra month but, you know, I do wonder if there were other people banging down the door for that bed or that room, if they would still be, um, you know, advocating for that person to spend another another month in the treatment center, right? right. Um, rather than, you know, starting to transition into, into um, yeah, either like an IOP or like mm-hmm. a, doing something that's a bit more like helping them get back to their life, transition, right? Because right. I mean, yeah, exactly. Because at the end of the day, that's what we we want our clients and, and patients to be able to do is live their lives without needing like that much of the cast, right? Like eventually we want yeah. to remove the cast, get into kind of like the physical therapy or whatever it is. And yeah. treatment centers are often the cast piece and there's healing that happens within yep. that. But then you take away that cast and it's like, okay, we can't just abandon or start, you know, go back to like doing fucking back handsprings or whatever it was right. like causing this. Right. right so, yeah. And, um, yeah, and the other thing that came up for me there was just like autonomy in our clients and, and patients, yes. right? I mean, at the end of the day, we really want to foster autonomy and we want our, our clients to feel empowered to um, choose how they want our relation the relationship to continue or not. So that's where it takes, a. I think as a clinician, it's really important to do a lot of your own work and to recognize like where your own attachment issues, where your own like financial insecurity maybe, where your own personal insecurity might be playing into wanting to keep working with a client when they might be ready to to graduate, you know, or when you might be limited, you know, and it's not necessarily within your scope anymore, what you can do with them. Um, And just sort of starting to really recognize like, okay, where, you know, or am I trying to sell this person a package because it's really what's best for them? Or am I doing it because, you know, I think that uh, I want them to have X number of sessions or something because then I have my income secure for the next however many months. So yeah, I think it always comes back to self-awareness both in the, in the client and in the practitioner. Yeah. And going back to the medication part of it, that obviously that is also about self-awareness and being informed and um, hopefully practitioners and medical providers being ethical, which is, yeah. some yeah. of them are. I will say some of them right. are. Yes, yes. But, um, but that's such a struggle for me too because yeah. it's like on one side, I very much agree with the whole thing of like, don't just fucking tell me to go do some yoga and, yeah. and do yeah. some coloring. Like I... <laughs> I've been depressed yeah. in my bed for three weeks. Um, yeah. and, and some people really honoring the need for, um, for medication and supporting their biochemistry. 
And on the other side of it, obviously over prescription and totally. medicating symptoms rather than treating them. And um, yeah. I'll, I'll bring this tangent back around because how I first um, came across you, I was telling you um, when I DM'd you that like uh, my Google Chrome, you know, it pulls up those like whatever articles it thinks you might be interested in. And yeah. I started, I was just like, saw the headline. I was like, oh yeah. And it, so it was one you just recently did for Forbes. I'll put it in the show yeah. notes, but it's like something about... Um, entrepreneur and like being able to to focus or whatever right and, yeah I think and, it was, I'm finally getting shit done yes yeah. yes and <laughs> I was like oh girl ones. I need yeah. to read this yeah. and uh <laughs> and you started it by saying like something like as someone who chooses not to medicate my ADHD and I was like yes and I'm literally my phone is listening to me it's terrifying because that's yeah. I've been talking about that a lot <laughs> recently about like I've never been officially diagnosed but like yeah, I definitely meet right. criteria, and um, and I part of why I even like had a, a testing appointment scheduled recently and canceled it because I was like, what are they going to tell me? I'm going to pay a few hundred dollars for them to confirm it just so that what I can get medication, and medication is not bad, but if I can work with myself without that, I mean these stimulants are terrifying, and so I just totally. I don't know if there's anything you want to say around your own choice. Yeah, that. I mean I think so. It's such a delicate subject, and I think like. The number one thing um, that I never want to do with people is cause shame around what their decision is. And I think that there, when it comes to medication, I mean, so for example, with like depression, and I'll, I'll get to ADHD as well, but with depression or, or anxiety, for example, but one metaphor I like to use with depression is like, oftentimes, um, depression saps so much of our like focus and energy and motivation, and it causes us to isolate. So the things that would normally help us kind of like keep our engine going or keep our mood uplifted or like connection and meaning um, and, you know, not beating ourselves up and stuff and having hope, all of that is like stripped away. And so we're basically paralyzed. And so I like to liken it to kind of like, you know, it's like a dead car battery. Like it doesn't like you can try to like, you can turn the key. It's not going to happen. Right. And so some people need the jump. Like they need a jump just to get started. And it doesn't mean that you're going to just sit there and you're going to keep the jumper cables on your car the whole time you're driving. Right. But just to get that engine going. And then once you have, you can start recharging the engine and in so be going to therapy, actually being able to pay attention in sessions because, you know, as we know, I mean, it's really hard for our super, super clinically depressed clients to be present. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, having a bit of that stimulant allows for them to maybe start to understand some of the theory and the around like self-compassion and recognize where they need to like connect or just push themselves to like reach out to that friend or send that text or go to that party. I mean, that might be a tall order, but you know, the small gathering or whatever they feel comfortable doing or go for the run or, you know, go grocery shopping so they can get some like nourishing food in their body rather than just like, you know, not eating all day and then getting seamless at midnight or something. Right. And so it, like that jump can be really helpful in understanding these areas of their lives that are contributing to the depression. And it usually is like a lot of lifestyle stuff that we don't talk about and a lot of trauma and like attachment stuff and, um, you know, the, the unprocessed emotion and, and implement whatever there's like all sorts of shit that contributes. And it's like such a, such a like nuanced dynamic case in every individual's experience. So I do think in some cases it can be helpful for a person to like, use that um, medication for uh, exp like to be able to explore further. And look, some people choose to be on antidepressants or whatever medication for the rest of their life. And that's fine if that serves them, right? Mm -hmm. What we know is that there are like a host of side effects that are really, really um, 
not serving for people, you know, and it can be a really pain. So, so, and especially like we're seeing too, you know, especially when it comes to like ADHD medication, kids being on that from like a young age, it's causing like neural changes and whatnot. So I tend to err more on the side of like, look, I mean, I think our society's fucked up. We're basically creating a, a depression in people mm-hmm. because we're, they're isolated. We're doing jobs that we hate. We're disconnected. Everyone's looking at social media and comparing themselves and feeling sh- shitty. We're eating shit. We're not nourished enough. Like our gut bacteria is way off. We're not rested enough. You know, we're surrounded by toxins. Um, we're con- chronically stressed and inflamed. Like there's just so much happening and we're not processing our trauma or addressing mm-hmm. it. And so I think like... I will always support a client in their their decisions, you know, or at least like through some conversations and understanding why it serves them. But I will, I do think we're way too quick for people to go to the doctor's office, say I've been feeling blue. They fill out like a, a for, you know, the PHQ-9 or whatever. They fill out like a, an assessment that's just, oh, here are the last couple of weeks or whatever. The, the um, oftentimes their doctors aren't asking them anything about whether or not they've suffered a loss, whether they're heartbroken, you know, whether they're dating in 2018, because that causes <laughs> depression. I will tell you that much. Um, you know, whether like what their, their diet's like, what their social circle's like, what their job is like, what their sleep is like, you know, if they have a thyroid condition, if they've like, I mean, or testing for that kind of thing. I mean, for me personally, I was hypothyroid as a result of many years of eating disorders and eating disorders are rampant. And we're all like essentially like shooting our metabolisms through that and then suffering the side effects as a result, hormonal imbalances, and that contributes to depression. So this is, again, quite tangential, but I think we're like really medicating away symptoms, like you said, and not looking at underlying issues most of the time. And there are some cases, but I would say it's a much, it's maybe 5% of those cases that really, really do require medication to kind of take the next step there. Um, Still, at the end of the day, client autonomy, it's their choice. If that's what they want, we want to support them and help them like explore that but just also know it's not a silver bullet. Um, And then on the ADHD piece, I mean, there will be times where if I'm like, I need to do my taxes, you know, or like I need like there's something that really requires a lot of focus and it is just painful for me to actually like sit down and do it. I can see it as like a discipline. I can see it as, okay, I mean, this is just like meditation. You know, this is just like bring yourself back and notice the frustration, notice the boredom. But there might be times where I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to take something like today because this is very, very rare. I mean, for me, it's like a handful of times a year, really. Mm-hmm. Like it's like taxes and Excel spreadsheets of some sort, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it's just like you said, I mean, I've seen so many clients who have experienced really negative effects of being on something like Adderall for years Mm -hmm. to the point at which it's like, I mean, you know, not only has it maybe caused an eating disorder for them because a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of women take it because of its stimulant effects as well. And that seems like a perk at first, but it's really not because it fucks with all sorts of other aspects of your, your um, neurochemistry and your physiology and stuff. Um, but then also just like having very like like side effects around like you know affecting their sleep affecting their sex drive affecting like their mood um you know being shorter tempered as yeah. a result of it like there's just, i mean there's all sorts of stuff I mean, you can just google side effects and you'll find forums with this kind of stuff but people taking these medications consistently not being informed well enough because their doctor's like yeah yeah come on keep taking it right getting a kickback i mean not all of them but right. some of them do and so I think, again, it's, it comes back to just being like a really informed consumer and knowing what serves you. I mean, like, okay, there might be some times where it does make sense to, you know, take this medication, just like there might be some times where it's like, it makes sense to drink the four glasses of wine or whatever, because you're feeling really, really shitty that evening and heartbroken or whatever. I like, I'm like, if there are places where it serves you to numb, that's fine. Like you can do it intentionally, give yourself permission to numb, but notice that you're numbing. And that's not the, the habit you want to get into. That's the exception to the rule you right. want to find. 
Right. And then it can mask those symptoms enough to where then you're not addressing whatever root cause or issue might be there. Um, exactly. And just end up in that cycle forever. And and yeah, I love and- the, the dead car battery metaphor and also just like this idea of, um, I've heard it said sometimes of like, right now you just need an emotional floor underneath you. So we're going to totally. give you that. And then we'll see once you're able yes. to be awake enough to build some of these skills or try some of these things, then we'll see what totally. we done. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And again, bringing like privilege into the conversation. I mean, there are a lot of people who can't afford the behavioral health services that like we wish we could provide for people. And so if a person, if that's their only option is an antidepressant and it raises the quality of their life, fuck yeah, like take that, right? I mean, it's really about taking into context a person's situation, you know, and what's within their means and what's within their resources. And, you know, maybe they're a single mom who has zero time to seek therapy and, you know, this is the only thing that's able to get them like being present for their kids. Like, I mean, we we cannot judge those decisions. So I think it really is just like helping a person make the decision that's best for them rather than it's always this or it's always that. Right. And as far as the ADHD piece for myself personally, like I choose not to medicate that because it takes away my creativity. And yeah. it actually, for me as a therapist, it does not make me a good therapist. It takes away my intuition, my attunement, my empathy, all sorts of these types of things that make me more emotional and people will find that with all sorts of psychopharmaceuticals right yeah. like they're there's sort of a numbing effect and that's that concerns me I mean I think it's you know Botox does this too I'm also very concerned about Botox and the impact mm-hmm. it'll have on our society but um just you know taking away people's ability to connect um, and obviously technology is doing that too but uh yeah so I think the the yeah summary is is it's your decision yeah. do your research try not to let shame come into the picture do what serves you best and know that you can always change your mind too you can take something for a short period of time or a longer period of time and you can you can change however weaning off some of these things can be really painful so do know that uh, there can be kind of de- you right. know dependencies that are developed and such yeah absolutely i what's funny because i've only ever taken aside from like caffeine i've only taken right. a stimulant one time because yeah. um i've in eating disorder uh, recovery as well and so I've I've been in a handful of studies as a lab rat and one of oh. them was like it which is kind of a fun experience but one of yeah. them um, was I think a PET scan one and they gave me a dose you know did a PET scan then gave me a dose and then had to wait for it to kick in then did another PET scan and I, you know, they had told me like, oh, you'll probably be waiting for an hour or however long while it's kicking in so you can bring a book or whatever with you. So I brought like my laptop and I remember like I was so focused and like just so energized. I was like, I love this. I should never take this again. I will want it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, that's such a testament to your self-awareness that you can recognize like, ooh, like I could see myself really becoming dependent on this or really like getting addicted or whatever. Um, You know, when it's, I mean, a lot of these stimulants are are not a lot different than something like cocaine, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, of course you feel great and you get a lot done. And a lot of the times too, I mean, I've like, you know, I've I've taken things before and, and written for a day and been like I am amazing like I am a genius this is so good oh my gosh I've got this like book written in a day and then I go back the next day and I'm like this is terrible so there's also like not only is there like yes the focus piece but there is sort of like a false confidence with some of the stuff so um so yes I mean I think uh I really like your ability to recognize okay does this serve me does it not I have to be mindful of this and I think that's something for anyone with any kind of substance 
we should just be aware of our relationship to it and where we might be vulnerable and, you know, not just sort of like blindly take it because it's it's not or because it's legal or because it's prescribed. Um, and like you said, too, I mean, I think anyone who, you know, anyone who takes one of those forms of medications experiences like a higher level of focus. So I have had that too, where I've been like, oh my God, is this what like normal people experience? Is this a normal person's <laughs> right. level of focus? Right. Um, but no, I mean, I think most people would experience like a bump in their focus and whatnot. And then, yeah. you know, you may have, you may suffer um, creative creatively or excuse me creatively if I'm trying to say you maybe suffer creatively or something along those lines absolutely or or just be too jittery or if you already have a tendency toward anxiety probably you'll feel anxious exactly or not sleep yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. so you mentioned earlier that um segue that dating (laughs) dating in 2018 can be depressing and I've been uh I'm like how six years that I've been sit with my husband and so uh, yeah. we did meet online back when I'm, I'm always like the nostalgic oh, online nice. dater I'm like yeah I'm you like you need to okay Cupid and I get so oh, frustrated right. with like these stupid <laughs> apps that are just like I just see a face and I own like a sentence and I swipe and I'm like listen I love this fucking algorithm like this thing yeah. I answered so many questions and so I've told some of my yeah. clients I'm like are you are you just doing the apps or have you tried something like this and they're yeah. like I tried getting on OkCupid and there's like five guys on it everyone's just on like Bumble and uh, Tinder you know. and so it's depressing but um, I know we're, yeah. we're in like an emotionally unavailable yeah. I know I'm like I'm definitely um have been in New York probably two I haven't even been here four years but it's like too too long to the point at which I'm like everyone's emotionally unavailable um but yes I think a lot of people like scheduling wise stigma wise and then avail- emotional and physical availability wise they're more likely to go on like the tinders and bumbles and yeah. I, I, I enjoy hinge still I think hinge is like you know I'm not too familiar with that one what makes it different um hinge is like you have to answer some questions like three Good. questions it's not like <laughs> okay cute it's literally only three questions but it's just like the extra level of investment you know yeah. you just like a little bit more and you get to kind of have a bit of a a sense of a person's personality and how they answer versus the hot or not that is the rest of them God, seriously oh, yeah, I, just, I just had flashbacks when you said that <laughs> oh it's it's yeah it's a it's i say it's spiritual like that's my um either a way that I'm spiritually bypassing and not feeling the feelings associated with it. Um, but basically, I mean, I think it's such a, an opportunity to just like open up to very difficult emotions. Um, you know, in dating, we are definitely vulnerable. We're vulnerable to anxiety, rejection, shame, embarrassment, humiliation, sadness, loneliness, disappointment, like the whole gamut. So I just see it as I'm like, okay, this is just an opportunity. And every time, like, you know, every time I get ghosted, which is probably like every three weeks on average I would say um it's just another opportunity to like notice those emotions be kind to myself and then also notice the impermanence of it all like I I woke up today and I was like oh I'm not actually thinking like I was like I was like oh I actually think I'm I'm over that dude like thinking of like whoever the last person was that I was like kind of sad about like I'm like oh yeah I think I'm over it I feel good so um yes it's uh I think a lot of we're in it together it's a struggle that many people are dealing with right now yeah, and I think um, as a former client taught me, it's AFGO, another fucking growth opportunity. Um, I love that. <laughs> AFGO, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it is crazy. I have people coming into my office talking about this stuff, and um, it's also, I'm sure, 
with anything, it's like the grass is greener because there's so many wonderful things about being, you know, married and having a, a partner and all of that. But then sometimes I hear about that kind of stuff and I'm like, oh, I'll help you swipe on your, not with clients, but like my friends. Yeah, I'll be yeah. like, I want to swipe on your app. It sounds fun. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think there is like, there's a novelty to it and it's fun. Like, um, I mean, that, that novelty gets old fast, I will tell you. Um, where I was like, oh. I mean, I think probably being in New York too, it's that much different because there's just so many people like I think in a you know if I'm like swiping in my hometown of like max like 90,000 people Mm -hmm. you run out of people that you swipe on so it's like you get to a point where you're like oh okay like I've I'm excited there's another potential person whereas here it's this whole paradox of choice like it's never ending there's always someone around the next corner people are asking like well you know I I mean I really this could potentially be like my dream man and like I love this and I love that but you know he's like He's like 5'10". You know, I, I want someone who's like 5'11". <laughs> right? Like, it's just... So we find these little places where there, there might be someone who's just a little bit more perfect for us. And, you know, whether you want to call that like perfectionism or a way of avoiding intimacy or both, it's it's happening. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's... For me personally right now, I'm actually in a place where for the first time in a very long time, like I'm dating like no one. I mean, I'm usually like dating somebody or seeing somebody, even though they're not my boyfriend. Again, this is dating in 2018 at 32. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry to see him, but he's not my boyfriend. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a peaceful place to be. And I have to admit, I'm like, hmm, this is kind of nice. No one can hurt me. And then I have to be aware of my like my fear of vulnerability and me being like okay am I going to find comfort in this like cozy little place where no one can hurt you and then not put myself out there and you know just put myself into work because that's one place that I know I feel good um so it it is a real there's a lot of opportunities for reflection I think both in and out of relationships when it comes to this kind of stuff absolutely it's like because there has been such a focus on romantic relationships and especially for women that like this is our goal this is what we're doing that it's with clients especially who are like oh well I'm not you know I'm not dating or whatever I'm always like very um very conscientious about saying like if it's purely that you're just like not into that and you've got other priorities that is perfect that's awesome and we do not even have to talk about it um if there's some avoidance going on then that might be worth looking at but but don't buy into the idea that you know which i you know they get from all their family members and whoever like are you seeing one right now and it's just like oh god totally yeah i love that that you approach it from that perspective and i mean i've said this many times before but i'll say it again like i think as women and you know this actually is, is sort of on um theme with your podcast but as women especially when we don't necessarily have like a really strong sense of meaning or purpose that's us that's separate from like any of these things I'm about to mention we really fall back on our relationship status our appearance both like our our physical appearance and our weight is a huge part of that um and childbearing whether or not we're a mom and whether or not we can have kids or if if we have kids and so I, I get a ton of clients who if they don't have this kind of like sense of purpose otherwise women were just socialized to be like the your your worth is tied up in relationship status appearance and weight mm-hmm. and like youth is attached to that as well and parenting. Uh, whether parenting exactly and whether or not you can or will have kids and mm-hmm. you know oh well that's so weird she, she's 40 and she never had kids you know it's like that kind What's of like oh or she's yeah. like right exactly and oh what people feel that oh I feel so sorry for this person right so um so I think that, um, yeah, it, it's it's definitely, we feel pressure as women. And I think it, I mean, I think men feel a little bit of pressure, but usually it's not until later. And it's more of a, there, it's it's 
easier, I think I can generalize in this way and saying that it is easier to be a man in this world who is single, career driven, um, you know, maybe childless and possibly childless forever, um, you know, and isn't super focused on his appearance or weight or stuff like that. Whereas as women, like we have a lot of that types of those types of pressure and that's where our shame comes up or societal shame. Um, and so it's important to like unpack that and help people, um, be able to question some of those like unconscious or subconscious, uh, um, criticisms that they have toward themselves or pressures. Right. And if I'm not finding meaning in those places, if that's not where I'm deriving my meaning or worth from, then what is it? Especially for people who, may not have like a strong sort of spiritual identity or religious identity. And uh, you know, I live totally. in a Bible belt and grew up in a different Bible belt. And um, yeah. it's, it's, I'm like, I, I want to, I'm fascinated right now around the concept of spiritual trauma, religious trauma, just cause it, it's like the kind of thing mm-hmm. that I've, just walked into my office so many times now that yeah. and nothing like I'd, I'd want to do some more training around like the serious like cult abuse kind of stuff but right. in terms of like your run-of-the-mill like you know evangelical kind of upbringing super shaming of yeah. sexuality or whatever totally um, it's just so commonplace and totally so, uh, yeah when people are sort of letting go of that as an identity or a place where they find meaning it's and, and yeah. often throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, exactly. It's a really, I mean, it's a very, as Pema Shodan says, it's a real place of groundlessness, you know, like we're really like, shit, I've got nothing to stand on and everything that I knew to be true is is not true. And, and there can be a great deal of anxiety that comes along with that. I mean, we have statistics to support that like, with the, I don't know if dissemination is the right word, but like of religion there's been a, 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 an increase in anxiety and it's a correlation. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's causal, but some of the, the interpretations there are, well, I mean, you know, when you, when you have this kind of like connection to spirituality in a sense that there's, there is some being kind of protecting you and, you know, after you die and whatnot, there will be somewhere for you to go. I mean, that's, there's a lot of comfort in that. And then all of a sudden taking away, they mean, when you take that away, that leads to this like existential anxiety for one, and also like deep feelings of loneliness and um, overwhelm and anxiety around like being kind of at the helm of your life in a way that you were able to surrender previously so I think there is um so like if we look at it from an existential perspective I mean like Viktor Frankl he's the one who wrote Man's Search for Meaning and you know the way he um looks at like um I mean for I I imagine you know this based on because of your your podcast topic and stuff but for people listening like existentialism is is you know nihilism is kind of like there's no point of life and there there is no point and existentialism is is more like well there isn't a point like there's no like inherent point but we create meaning we create the point right and so the way that he described like spirituality was a huge one and parenting was a huge one as well um but also like creativity education connection um building like and i think like for me personally a huge place where i get my meaning i mean of course like helping is a huge one um and being being a helping professional and healing and whatnot and wanting to create change um again when i have that extra layer of like my own my own kind of like self-observation I'm like well that probably is because I grew up parentified and I you know took care of mm-hmm. people and was very attuned to their feelings and that was my experience of love and that gets in the way of my dating for sure because I'm like I will take care of you and I'm like this is not a healthy relationship <laughs> um so but uh but either way like I think 
we can all find our places where we get a sense of purpose. And it usually is connecting to like the greater good in some way, feeling a sense of relevance, feeling like you're part of a system. And if we look at that from like an evolutionary standpoint, it's very pro-social, right? Like it's essentially like we all at one point were living in packs and that's how we survived. And we needed to be together to be able to eat and run away from whatever the predators were and sleep together and like procreate and stuff. Um, And so really like having that sense of of belonging and like purpose um in terms of like like uh it was, what am i trying to say here like the keeping the human race going there's a word i'm looking for but i don't oh, know what it is but anyway not like the preservation the, yeah, 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 yeah something yeah. like yeah so yeah, yeah. Sure, something like that right. so um so having like like that's actually all kind of like very evolutionary the idea of having meaning in there and and um it's uh it's pro-social so i think mm-hmm. like you know, you can do these exercises, like find your why and like, you know, you need to figure out your purpose and stuff. And it's like, I think sometimes, especially for someone who's depressed, I'm like, don't, don't worry about that for now. Like, let's figure your why today is like, or your purpose today is like being able to get to a point where, you know, you feel like you, there's something worth getting out of bed in the morning for. Right. And they help each other. Right. I mean, when we lack meaning, we become, we do become depressed or again, as women, we usually fall back on those three, Mm -hmm. three things that I mentioned. Um, and that's again, because we, look around at us at stories and we're like, oh, well, this is the, this person's purpose here. And, you know, men think, okay, well, I've got to just be like super, super successful and make a lot of money and, you know, buy a house and a car and support somebody and be an alpha male and be really jacked or whatever. Um, so, yeah, so I think like there, I'm totally going tangent getting tangential no, right okay. now and I can't even really remember where I started with um and what the point was that I got into all of this but I think it was just still going back to like women basically feeling like they need to be in relationships and feeling a lot of anxiety and depression around not being in one um as a result of like believing that that's the their source of meaning right or their, their point or their purpose or their their belonging or their like worth on this earth yeah absolutely and I feel like there's there's a decent amount and an increasing amount of conversation around the the sort of body image piece and appearance. Like, mm-hmm. thankfully, in recent years, that's that um, sort of uh, counter to the mainstream message is getting louder around body acceptance uh-huh. and body positivity and all of that great stuff. Um, and even relationships to a lesser degree, I think there's, there's some, some awareness generally of like, okay, so I probably shouldn't necessarily just like find my worth in, in this. Um, I think of those three things, the one that there's the least conversation around is the like parenting piece of it. And, and partially because I get that that's like probably a smaller a much smaller segment of the population who that feels Mm -hmm. relevant for because i don't know what the percent percents are but um most people want to have kids that's you know the vast majority of people do and and this was something that you touched on briefly in in your conversation with your friend sari on your podcast recently which i will link to because it was an awesome episode and oh um, thank you sidebar of of where you guys were getting into all kinds of things around um, femininity and and intersectional um, activism and just all of that. Um, but, okay, back to you. I'm like, no, I'm like in that no, realm. No. But, but the yeah, parenting yeah, you were just thing, talking, and it's yeah. just, it's, uh, as somebody who has never felt inclined toward that, I just feel like there's not, mm-hmm. there's hardly any spaces where those conversations are happening and where totally. that most people that you ask, what's the most meaningful thing in your life or what's your purpose? They would say their kids, which is great for yeah. them. But what about for 
people who totally feel that way. totally and I think even like the conversation itself is like it, it can be uncomfortable because we have to do exactly what you just did there like but it's still great to be a parent like <laughs> and I think like which I totally do as well yeah. and and I do believe that but I think it's people are it's so wrapped up in their identity that it does make for I mean it, it is like religion or it is like you know diet for some people or it is like like feminism or it is like like um pol- political beliefs so people do tend to to um, project maybe their own shame or biases and stuff like that onto those conversations. And I think we should be having more of them. And, you know, it's interesting, like, I, I just notice even what happens for me when I hear you say, like, to someone who hasn't really, like, felt an affinity to that or whatever your terminology was, like, I feel this, like, relaxation. I'm like, oh, like, I feel less alone, right? Mm-hmm. Because I've lived with so much shame around, um, you know, I, I've never been a super like mothering. I, I mean, I'm very mothering to like uh, adults, to like grown humans, <laughs> but I've never been really mothering to, to kids or to babies. And I've always like seen my friends like goo goo gaga, whatever over them. And I've been like, I am broken. I am, I'm a, a flawed woman, you know, and like live that. So when I hear you say that, like it makes me feel a little less alone. And I think that that's just a sign right there that there should be more community around this. And I wonder if part of it is because, you know, these conversations around body image and relationship status millennials are the ones who are really driving these conversations because we're the ones who are online. So mm-hmm. I actually think that, you know, I don't know how old you are, but I, I mentioned I'm, I'm 32. And like, Me so, oh, okay, perfect. Awesome. <laughs> I feel good. And I feel connected to you. <laughs> um, and so I think that like, as we're in this age bracket, like where we're starting to get to that right 35 age, where there's that sort of like, geriatric, aren't you? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, then I think more people hopefully will start talking about this and normalizing the either like decision to not have kids or, many people have infertility struggles and whatnot and and can't um or people who don't have a partner and they want them they choose not to or i mean sorry they don't choose not to they're by choice or not able to yeah maybe they choose not to have a child on their own so i think that like it's like a two-part answer to what you said there or (laughs) you didn't really ask a question but i just decided to tell you all my thoughts um (laughs) is one is that yeah i mean i wonder if like part of the reason we're not having that conversation as much is because the demographic who was dealing with it previously wasn't as active online and so now we have a lot more like you know voices that will hopefully speak to that um and then the other piece is yeah i think there is a lot of shame around um you know quote unquote admitting that we don't necessarily want kids and then for me personally like I it's like right now I mean especially with no partner I'm like well I no I I mean definitely not um but one you know I think like we want permission to change our minds and everyone should have permission to change their minds either way and two for me when I'm like like really reflecting and peeling back layers I'm like okay so the first layer is I don't want them what if I peel back the layer and I'm just asking myself that I'm doing that because that's a defense mechanism because I could see myself not finding a partner with whom I want to have children so I'm trying to protect myself I'm like okay so maybe I do then I peel back another layer and I'm like well what about if it's just that I'm actually um you know I'm feeling this pressure to have kids because that's what women are supposed to do in our society. And really this is just like me, like a social confirmation or sort of conformity type thing. And then I feel like another one. I'm like, but what about if it's that I'm actually just really afraid because I didn't have a picture perfect childhood and I question whether or not I could be a good mother. And then I feel like, you know, so what if I'm a workaholic and that's really why. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's something that, you know, it's, it's, give yourself permission to change your mind, give yourself permission to reflect on it, give yourself permission to like, not necessarily have to say what you think you're supposed to say to be like a desirable partner. I think that's another piece too. Sometimes I'm like, what man would want to date a woman who's like, not really like, doesn't just want to devote herself to being like a, a, 
the domestic goddess, as Sari said in, in my podcast, you know? So I think um, it's it's a really important conversation. I think it's a huge aspect of um, equality that we don't address because, you know, in women being expected to bear children, it's a, it's a lot, you know, and believing that our worth is attached to it and things. And, uh, and again, this idea that women become obsolete in our society after 40 is very much attached to their fertility. So I think that we, um, it's definitely a conversation we need to keep having. So I'm glad that you brought it up. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, I had on one of my podcast episodes, a, um, how does she was a gender studies professor and a, uh, tarot reader, witchy kind of person. She's incredible. And she talked, we talked about sort of the, the maiden mother crone and how that's like a very flawed and archaic, um, understanding of the woman's life cycle. So, Oh, that's awesome. It's fascinating. Um, yeah. So, as far as you mentioned earlier, spiritual bypassing, which mm-hmm. I maybe have defined at some point on this show, but give us a little definition of that as you see it and and what you see as problematic about that. Yeah, totally. So spiritual bypassing, um, I'm totally forgetting the guy's name who really coined the term. I want to say like Robert Augustus, I think might be who it is. I think you might be I'll, right. Or, yeah, okay, right. yeah. Um, so basically, I mean, the original terminology around it was actually like using spirituality as a way to further avoid feeling. So that's one of the main, um, the main risks that we take when we really throw ourselves into spirituality is like there's both spiritual bypassing, there's spiritual materialism. So spiritual materialism is, is quicker to define. So spiritual materialism is basically using spirituality as a way of, of, um, experiencing like uh feeding the ego so it's kind of like well i'm the most i meditated for 10 hours how many hours did you meditate for you know like well i read my buddhism text and you know i'm like well like and it's like are we doing this because of you know our our true like you know uh selfless desire to like elevate the collective conscious and um or consciousness excuse me and um or is it because like we want to be perceived as like is it is there a power piece is there an ego piece involved which again takes self-awareness but i think it most people when they take some time and reflect they can answer that question truthfully um where spiritual bypassing is more around like numbing avoiding feelings and so it could be like oh i'm um using the meditation example you know this dude ghosted me and i feel really shitty so what i'm gonna you know what i'm gonna do I'm going to just like meditate for time. So I'm going to keep going to, I'm going to go to yoga. I'm going to spin. I'm going to do this busying my schedule or I'm going to another way that we spiritually bypass is like gratitude and positivity. Well, I'm just going to, you know what he was like, it's I'm better off without him. And, um, you know, rejection is protection, which I, by the way, say all the time. I mean, there's certainly, you can, you can certainly still like find the silver lining and like, like reframe and whatnot, but we just don't want it to be at the cost of actually going through the process of like, ouch, like this really hurts. I'm feeling really sad. I'm feeling rejected. I'm feeling discarded. I feel like lonely. I'm disappointed. Um, You know, there's maybe some shame bubbling up. It hit on a trigger for me, like being able to really like move through that process. So spiritual bypassing is one way that we actually prevent that process from happening. And certainly there are aspects of spirituality that are related to it, but in other ways that we do it are like, um, you know, the wellness world is is wrought with spiritual bypassing. You know, it's like, oh, well, I know what I will do to avoid pain i will just be gluten-free dairy-free sugar-free like alcohol-free nightshade free and like <laughs> get up and journal for 20 minutes every morning and then i'll go do my this and that and it's like you know really that's just a way of avoiding uh, avoiding shame that's a, a right. manifestation of perfectionism and ultimately like what we're doing when we're spiritual spiritually bypassing is we're trying to avoid our feelings 
through you by using spiritual means. So it's just like using, you know, like alcohol or um, sex or porn or like or Tinder or whatever. It's just another way of numbing. But we're, it's a more like kind of like it's a sneakier, maybe yep. um, more acceptable, socially acceptable way um, of trying to be like, oh, I know what I'll do. If, if I do this, then I can try to avoid pain. Right. And that's really what yeah. we're all trying to do. Life. And it's acceptable and, and certainly even praised, especially totally. the, the, and you know how insanely powerful and pervasive the wellness industry is right now. But it, wow. like any other way that we numb, it can cause shame of its own. Like I'm totally. just thinking of the people who come in and they're like, oh, I just, I can't believe what's wrong with me that I'm letting this negativity get to me and I should yes. just be able to stay in the positive. Oh and my gosh. I'm, I'm just, I'm creating, <laughs> I'm my own reality and i'm just lowering my vibration and i'm just like oh my all the shoulds are are making it all worse i literally just want i really want all we all we practitioners who practice from like a more um like emotionally focused like like emotions are normal and healthy like that kind of i want us to just get together and i want to have like a book burning i want us to just take every (laughs) fucking positive thinking book and i want us to just like to have like a bonfire and invite everyone and let's all just like dance and cry and feel our emotions and like support each other and hug each other and be like i love you alongside your difficult feelings because you were still lovable and that's what a human thing is because you're so right like I have so many clients who do this and they come in and they're like, these are champagne problems. These are first world problems. I'm not being grateful yeah. enough. I'm not thinking positively enough. I need to rewire my, my brain. I had someone just say to me like a couple minutes ago, like right before we got on this call, this was actually a friend, but she said, she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going through this thing. I'm not allowed to say it out loud. It's like a, a neural linguistic <laughs> thing. I'm going to manifest it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh. And I was like, I mean, I support that. And again, I am like, whatever serves you, right? But like, we need to be able to say these things out loud so we can get the support that we deserve. And so that we can actually like, like, look at it and and fix whatever needs to be fixed. I mean, I always, I'll use the example because this happens in, um, this happens in, in like companies and stuff as well, or organizations as well, where they'll be like, we don't focus on the negative. We only focus on the positive. I'm like, so if there was like a fire burning, are you going to be like, we don't focus on the fire. <laughs> Just hang out over here and like, you know, do something fun. It's like, focus no. On the part of the building that's not on fire. Exactly, exactly. It's like, no, we need to look at the fire and like, we're not going to try to freak out about the fire. We're not going to uh-huh. judge the fire. We're not going to get mad at the fire. We're not going to shame the fire. But we do need to be like, okay, well, first let's try to like put the fire out. and then like how the fire start? Like how right. do we friend the fire? <laughs> like yeah. we need to bring attention to that. And so... And then sometimes like there are fires that are kind of just like burning in our lives that we need to learn how to live alongside. And so we don't judge them as well, but we do need to be aware of them and aware of how they affect our mood and our relationships. And so, um, so yes, I mean, I am like, I'm like the anti-positivity therapist and like, I still think I'm a very optimistic, positive person, but I also am like really realistic. And I think that that like blind positivity is it's not only again oft I hate to say like white yoga girl because we're both white yoga girls, but like it's like it's like a, right. it's a very privileged position to be like I don't need to think about this problem when it's like exactly. well no I'm you really may need to think about it you don't need to dwell on it per se but like it's there for a reason these thoughts and feelings are there for a reason let's explore them understand if they have any clout and if we want to actually go deeper into them and figure out like you know 
how do we either prevent this from continuing to happen or make a change in your life because maybe this depression is telling you you hate your job or you your relationship is not supportive or you know you don't have any friends or you have a thyroid condition or you know you're not getting enough um, B12 or iron in yeah. your diet. Like, so I think it's it's uh, definitely something where people. Um, I, I think the self help industry. I like I have so much anger around it. Yeah. So many so many places. So. Right, and especially like you're saying with the privilege piece of it that like when it's something that directly impacts me, maybe I'll let myself talk about it, but like, I don't want to read the news and I don't, and, and believe me, there is a, there's absolutely space to set boundaries around what you watch, what you look at, like what you're willing to talk about, but just wanting to stay in sort of blissful ignorance because you have the privilege to be able to do so. I'm like, stop it. Number one. Number two, the, (laughs) like, I think what's hard is it's not black and white because there there certainly are kernels of truth and and some of the spiritual and and yeah. um all, like what you focus on you get more of okay i can see how that can be true yeah. um and and that we can sort of manifest things but then then there's like uh, i i can tell you offline at some point more about this but like yeah. this whole thing happened where like one of the most sort of well-known manifesting coaches um went under fire recently for like saying this stuff around like Oh, I would never call myself a feminist and that's a label and I don't believe in labels and like I was just completely um blind to everything that she's saying and the yeah. implications of it and and then really not taking ownership like very um yeah, n- yeah just ugh yucky uh, and and uh we have to acknowledge that like I'm sorry um I think that you probably started way up here. And so that's totally. part of a big part of why you, you're so successful, whereas other people are not starting where you are. Exactly. And that's like, I mean, that's like white feminism, like totally by definition. And I mean, she's not, it doesn't sound like this person is saying that, you know, she's a feminist, but just this idea, it's like, I mean, the, the thing with privilege, and I, I, I feel like I've been talking about this a lot lately, but I don't even care. Like, I'll talk about this all fucking day. Like, yes. the thing with privilege is it's like, you can't see it when you experience it. You only, that, that's why it's, I mean, I, I use this example on my podcast, but it's like what Sarah and I, one of the things we talked about is like, we can go into like a Starbucks or a fancy restaurant and just yes. use the bathroom. We're not seeing discrimination because that's not experiencing, not happening to us. But you know, if a black person goes in, if a transgender person, if you know, someone in like, um, who's like very openly, like not straight or like LGBTQ, whatever I, whatever the acronym mm-hmm. is these days, like, they're going to experience, they very well may, I should say they definitely will, but there's a very good chance that they'll, they'll, you know, experience some kind of discrimination mm-hmm. and they'll be like, no, sorry, customers only. And so we, we don't see these places where we have privilege because we don't have to necessarily like fight that oppression all the time. And so that's where the education piece is so important and having these conversations is so important. So you can turn that switch for people because there was a point where I wasn't aware of my privilege either. I mean, I think growing up in Canada and doing, you know, a very like social justice focused master's program helped with that. Um, and, you know, a, a minor in, in basically um, social work, but like, it, we just we, we don't see it but naturally and so we have to like recognize that and understand like our and that we have blind spots and I'm sure that I still have I mean I know that I have many many blind spots yeah and that will help me be open to remediating some of those but yeah it's a just going back to what you had said about this this you know the spirituality piece and and perpetuating what I think are like really not only unhelpful but like destructive messaging because these people are in positions of power they're seen as gurus Mm -hmm. and you have people who are very vulnerable I mean it's the same thing as the people who are willing to spend the extra twenty thousand dollars on the treatment program for a month because they're desperate and they're like I don't know what to do and so they have this person who's like 
appear to have manifested their best life and they're like okay I'm, I'm I mean I guess this person knows what they're doing I guess I'll give them my money I guess I'll try what they're doing and not unlike the diet industry the diet industry is very similar mm-hmm. then when it doesn't work out they're like oh I must I haven't done it right you know I, I didn't yeah. I failed. I didn't repeat my mantras every morning mm-hmm. while like, you know, turning around in circles and like sticking my leg in the air and like chanting, like whatever, I don't know, like whatever yeah. type of thing you're supposed to do. Oh, I didn't do that perfectly. Or with the dieting piece, it's like, oh, well, you know, it must have been because I like, I cheated on this one day or I did this or I'm just, oh, and what's wrong with me? I just, I can't make this diet work when really the system's fucking broken. You're right. set up to fail. No, diets don't work for anybody. They just cause binging for the most part yep. and like fuck your metabolism. And so like, and it cause weight And like, like, so it's, we end up shaming ourselves because we're like, oh, the spiritual practice didn't work when, you know, I mean, I don't want to say, I mean, a lot of them I think are really helpful and there's a placebo effect and everything like right. that. But, you know, the idea that, you know, we're just supposed to, uh, like, what was it that you had said there? The put out to the, put, get get more of what we, we'll focus, we, get, what we, we attract focus on, more. we get more of. Yeah. Right, what we're trying to get more of. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Well, I don't and, know if there's been any empirical studies done on that. I'd yeah, like well, and the, and the motivation behind it, right? Like, am yeah. I doing this because I'm trying to fix something about myself and or, you know, avoid mask numb, whatever? Um, totally. Or am I, am I doing this from a place of, like, I am willing to make space for that stuff and... I yes, have this, exactly. you know, intention of blah, 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 blah. Totally. And I wonder too, if it's a, uh, um, what's the bias where you're like looking back on something and like, I, I can't remember what the name oh, of it is. It's not yeah. like confirmation bias, but there's a bias where it's like, it's like, yeah, like yeah. you, you look back through the road and it's like, oh, well it must just be because I had focused on this stuff and I got more of it. I'm like, I'll tell you <laughs> that like, I think I've been like very successful bias? in areas. Yeah. I think yeah. I think there's another one, but I can't remember what yeah. it is. It's something with like looking back but um but you know like Mm -hmm. I have always been a cautious optimist I've always been like yeah I mean I'm I like I I hope for the best and I have a deep intuitive knowing within me that like I think I will continue to reach more and more people I mean you could also just say that that's probability given like you know some of the success that I've had so far and also being like having all the resources to be able to do this which a lot of people don't right so it's a huge part of my success I mean all of my success has been related to my privilege um Mm -hmm. and you know I definitely have never been someone who's like well I'm just gonna like think positive thoughts and I'm just gonna focus on this and I'm not gonna say the things that could go wrong because you know that seems like to me ignorance ignorance and privilege when you can don't have to think about the things that could possibly go wrong so you don't have to come up with a backup plan because your backup plan is that you're privileged enough that you know society will pick you up or right. your parents will pick you up or whatever it is I mean again I don't mean to be like instilling any shame in people for that but it is just really important to recognize yes. that and recognize how other people do not have it that way and they don't have the privilege of being able to like go after their dreams or just not have a backup plan because you know they're working for minimum wage and they're trying to support a family or something like that or they're trying to get out of their hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt that they were promised was going to get them this like really great job because they went to this Ivy League school or whatever and so um so yeah so I think there's there's that piece and just I would also wonder if like you know how many people who are very very oppressed are saying oh well you just you get more of what you focus on you know and how many is it working for them like let's go see if telling somebody you know in one of those positions to focus on positive thoughts is gonna you know make them the the multimillionaire and then we have these stories like here and there where that does you know the there is the brags to riches story and then we focus on that and we're like well this person did it so therefore yeah. everybody can so and everybody feels worse about themselves because they're like well this so-and-so did and i didn't so right. what's wrong with me i must not yeah. have worked hard enough i might just not have tried hard enough um when there's just so much more that right. goes into that equation when it's the exception and not the rule and they're basing their understanding of reality on the exception so exactly yeah and exactly. i want i would 
love to talk about this a lot longer, but um, I have to wrap up in a few minutes. So, and I just appreciate that you are elevating conversation like this. And um, as much as I know for me, like you said, there's always, as long as we're willing to acknowledge that we still have these implicit biases and we're willing to be called out, or as some people are saying, called in yeah. on them, calling each right. other in on this stuff, yeah. um, continuing to commit to um, learning about what's going on, educating ourselves, and trying our best to do the work in whatever way that makes sense and in a way that's humble and respectful, um, then that's at least a hell of a lot better than what some people are doing right now. Totally. I completely agree. And, and look, like we're all on our own journey and we're all like, you know, there are these sort of like inflection points along the way where maybe we can have a level of awareness and, and, you know, hopefully people will, will have that. And I mean, again, like you and I too, like we have places where hopefully we will continue to just like mm-hmm. elevate or vibrate higher or whatever spiritual language you want to use. Um, and I think like we're all like, there, there's certainly um, just as, just as like we have to have understanding for a person who is less privileged. And when I speak of privilege, I'm talking about like oppression theory. So like multiple layers in terms of where they might be discriminated against, just as we have compassion and understanding for that and recognize that like there may be a, um, we want to have like, just maybe like, I don't want to say like different expectations, but just like really understand that person's journey. We also want to understand the journey of the person who was never, um, aware of this because of their privilege and because of their upbringing and like have compassion for that too. So I think that like, there are places and I certainly myself get like heated about it and frustrated, but there are places where I think just like having this conversation is so important and trying to have the conversation with like empathy and understanding and patience, even though it's so triggering and I get how triggering it is, especially like as a woman, especially as a person who has any other or multiple layers of oppression, but you just understand like, these people are blind. I love these these people. Like again, mm-hmm. that sounds judgmental, but like a lot of people are very blind yeah. to their privilege. It's not something that like is part of the education system. It's not like a conversation a lot of families have. So like, how are they to know? And like, let's just hope that people are open to learning and open to acknowledging. Like maybe one of the ways they're seeing the world is not helpful, and that's like what we do with ourselves and our clients as well. So, um, yeah. Empathy, yeah. compassion, all, oh, I, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I needed to hear that right now. And I'm sure yeah. a lot of people do. So I know. Well, and not yeah. everybody might agree with me, right? Because I think like there's also a, a an argument to be made for like if I if if my abuser, you know, or if, if this person who I who embodies the characteristics of my abuser is not open to the conversation, I shouldn't have to sit there and be empathic or compassionate yeah. to them. And if that's what a person needs, that's fine. I think right. I'm in a place where like I can have that kind of empathy and compassion and that's because I've been very lucky and very supported and probably a lot of my privilege and I don't feel unsafe in those conversations. So um, I think if you don't feel unsafe in those conversations, try to work on having empathy. If there's any level of of lack of safety or if it's too triggering, self-care first and you give yourself permission to give yourself. Absolutely. And that empathy and anger also don't need to be mutually exclusive. For those of us who are in a place to have those conversations, just because you're being empathetic and compassionate doesn't mean you're not angry. And beautiful and point things, beautiful so. yeah exactly we can, i mean anger is yeah. there to tell us the boundary's been crossed we've been mistreated we need to advocate for someone and a justice has occurred all of that can happen alongside empathy and and setting boundaries and that's in fact probably the most the most constructive way of expressing our anger yeah so megan what's the fucking so that- point What's the fucking point? Oh my gosh. That's so funny because you even told me you were going to ask me this and I didn't even really think about it. I know I responded something when I in our email, but um, I mean, I think, I 
think, oh, I remember what I said now. So I, I think the point is like, I'm a bit of a hedonist in some ways. Hedonism is, you know, just like, like joy. I mean, I think, um, uh, I think I quoted Trooper. We're here for a good time, not a long time, you know? So of course, like the, the, the playful part of me is like, Hey, you know, life is short. Um, you know, it's very unpredictable. It's precarious. It's fragile. We see this. We're fortunate that we see this every day with our clients and their stories. Um, but definitely, uh, try to save every moment because I, I think it is a real gift being here. Um, <clears throat> and then also, I mean, I do think that from a more like existential place for me personally, like the point is to just try to try to leave this, this earth a little better. I mean, I don't know if we're doing a very good job of that, but like perhaps a little bit more, you know, connected and aware um, and awakened than it was like when we got here um, and to just like connect and love and, and learn and, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm giving a lot of points, but I, I think at the it. end of the day, it's just like, be, be, a, be a good person, <laughs> be a good, try to try to be a good person, try to like be self-reflective, you know, be kind to yourself and, and try to have some fun along the way. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, just don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like I still saw platitudes coming from no, me now. No, no, I love it. And, <laughs> and actually it's, it's funny because it reminded me of one of my old favorite quotes, which I actually hadn't thought about in relation to this question yet, yeah. which is, um, Kurt Vonnegut said something like, we're all just here on earth to fart around. Don't let anyone tell you anything different. Yeah, so. exactly. I mean, I love to look at like other mammals, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think like the, the cheetahs playing in the wild are, are stressing about the extra 10 pounds yes. they have on them or, you know, their, I mean, you know, in some case their debt or their this or their yeah. that, or they're, they're getting rejected on a dating app like just give yourself <laughs> be human. treat it all as an experiment treat it all as like a giant research experiment and just be curious yes. life is your teacher everyone who enters your life is a teacher in some way yeah. you know connect try to overcome um some of those yeah. places where shame tells you to to isolate and stuff and um yeah i think that's that's all i got love it and now <laughs> i'm picturing the cheetah swiping left um, yeah <laughs> So I'll put obviously links to your website and everything in the show notes, but where can people find you and follow you online? Yeah. I mean, I think probably my, my most active platform is Instagram. I, uh, I'm in the process of trying to whittle down my caseload. And I think if, and when I do that, then I'll be able to be a bit more active in other places. But for now, Instagram's the only one I'm relatively consistent with. And when I say relatively consistent, I'm like every few days I post something and then some days I'll do like a bunch of stories and I won't do a story for like a week, mm-hmm. but um, I'm just at Megan J. Bruno on there. So M E G A N J B R U N E A U. And then that links to my site. If you want to read some of my stuff as well. Awesome. Or listen to my podcast. I should plug that as well. Yes. I have a podcast. The Failure, failure Factor. Factor. It's yes, awesome. Exactly. It's all about just like talking to people about their challenges and failures. It's usually related to business, but also personal failures and stuff as well. And it's just like vulnerable conversations with inspiring people and hearing about how they um, they be, were resilient to whatever yes. they went through Highly or gained resilience. That's res- recommend. Oh, thank you. Cool. Awesome. Well, I Thanks hope we can so con- continue our conversation soon. Yes, awesome. absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find past episodes and show notes at wonderwelltherapy.com slash podcast. We'll take you to the place to find all of that good stuff if you're looking for links or resources or anything else related to the show. Also, if you want to leave a review on iTunes, it helps more people find out about the show. That's bit.ly slash WTFP review. I'll see you next time. And until then, keep asking those big questions.